have what she's having. If what she's having is a storied career in media centered around a full stack entertainment company with enormous prospects for growth, I'm of course talking about Naomi Shaw, who is the founder and CEO of Meet Cute. You're about to hear her story all about building Meet Cute from an audio company to an audio visual company to, like I mentioned, a full stack entertainment media company that could maybe even potentially challenge Disney someday. So without further ado, I'm so excited to share this interview with Naomi Shaw. Okay, we are recording. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I am so thrilled to have you on here. We were just talking before I hit record about being Twitter friends and finally now connecting as close to in real life as people do these days for a podcast. Uh, but I would love if you could introduce yourself to everybody out here who is listening, who is not privy to your Twitter, being your Twitter friend. Tell me who you are, what you do, why you do it. Awesome. So nice to be here. I'm a big fan of all your tweets. Um, so I'm Naomi. I'm the founder and CEO of Meet Cute. For those who don't know what a Meet Cute is, it's this like serendipitous moment in a romantic comedy where two people collide for the first time. I like to use the word collide because that's how you know, it's just like so like someone spills their orange juice on someone else or like you spill all your stuff in the school hallway and someone helps you pick it up. And it's just like really magical moment of human connection. So we are a storytelling incubator for romantic comedies, both audio and video. And I do it because I love the idea of building a company that can provide short bursts of joy and happiness to people in their day. And I think storytelling is wellness and we need more of that right now and taking care of people around us. So um, that's like the biggest reason. And then it also lets me flex my creative muscle in addition to my operational muscles. So there's kind of a left and right side of my brain getting put to work every day um, thing that I haven't gotten in any other job before Meet Cute. Yeah, and it certainly is never a bad time for those bursts of happiness and heartwarming content, uh, and certainly always a fantastic opportunity, I think, in any any storytelling capacity to be able to flex both of those sides of your brain. That is a, a fantastic reason to start a company to begin with. But I think to do that in tandem with the larger content mission of Meet Cute is so cool to me, uh, and I am, am such a fan of what you do. I have to ask, though, off the bat here, do you have a favorite famous meet cute, like a favorite scene from a rom-com that inspired this or that comes to mind oh. when you think of, of well-known meet cutes? I mean, I think Notting Hill is probably one of my favorite meet cutes and it's just it's so classic. classic. Yeah. I could watch that anytime. So my mind always does go to like the more um, classic rom-coms, but I have to say She's the Man is probably close second. Both fantastic contenders for Meet Cute of the century. Um, I, it's difficult to top the rom-coms of the 90s and the early 2000s. I I think that they're just, I don't know, they were, were of, a, and I mean this specifically when it comes to like classic film, you know, obviously your content is going to be the next real classic Meet Cute. But I think that those movies especially had just some sort of magic that, I revisit them all the time, constantly. Um, my sister and I have been big on the debate of would you rather live Hallie's life or Annie's life from The Parent Trap. I think oh, there's some good yes. meet cutes in The Parent Trap too. Friendship meet cutes, romantic meet cutes. Um, but this is this is I think evidence of the fact that this kind of entertainment media is so vital to happiness and to connection, uh, especially for you know people who are just fans of heartwarming content. So with that in mind, I wanna hear a little bit more about the early days of Meet Cute. Tell me about 
what was being left on the table that you saw an opportunity with in terms of existing traditional media. Like I was just talking about, we have all of these classic Nancy Myers-esque films that everybody knows and loves, but what did you see as the opportunity when you were getting started with this company? Totally. And by the way, I have heard that so much and I feel the same way, which is like, how do we get back to that heyday of rom-coms where you, like everyone knows the same scenes and they're so quotable so there's a lot to unpack there, but I just wanted to, to support that. Um, so in the early days, we knew we wanted to build a storytelling company around feel-good emotions. Um, there was already a lot of true crime out there, a lot of horror on the market. And very quickly, we were noticing that there was no digital-first company focused on the rom-com space, even though it's one of the largest markets outside of um, digital. So like, if you just look at books, at... Uh, more traditional entertainment like TV and film, audiobooks. Like if you think about how big that market is, it's easily in the billions. And yet there's no um, company that was focused on kind of creating a new generation of rom-coms and also creating a an expansion of the genre. Like you actually hinted at this when you said like best friendship stories. There are stories about people falling in love with sports or places or hobbies. All of these invoke a really similar feeling of falling in love with something or someone. And we really just wanted to capitalize on that emotion and like keep serving it up again and again. So some of the older brands that come to mind are, you know, brands like Hallmark and Lifetime, but we were really excited about stories. And to answer your question about like opportunity being left on the table, to create stories that resonate with younger audiences and also to create a community of people who care about these stories and want to engage with both the stories, the content in themselves, but also with each other, other people in the community. So right now there's a lot of long form content around romance and romantic comedy, but less on the go consumption. And I really think the market opportunity is to create an everyday entertainment company where it pulls people into the storytelling and into the content in these really bite-sized short-form ways so it feels more integrated into your life and into you know walking to work going to class falling asleep those types of moments in the day do you consider yourself a disruptor yeah yeah i think so i know that that word has like connotations associated with it but like i like to think that almost everything we do at meet cute we think about how can we do this differently than something else that has been done out there? We're very different from a traditional entertainment company, yet we're creating content. And I think that by definition would fit a disruptor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad that you bring up the idea that disruptor is is more than just a, a couple of syllables all pushed together, right? There's this entire Pandora's box that we open when we bring up the D word. But I think it's it's an interesting way to uh, not necessarily label a, a person or a business, but to consider what the larger ambitions are. Um, sometimes disruption is necessary. So I'm curious about the the means of delivering this kind of media. When you bring up the concept of more, you know, in, in our biz, we call it snackable content or content that can be atomized, content that is consumable in a shorter period of time as opposed to sitting down and hitting play 
on a movie that might take 90 minutes to two hours. What was the thesis for you in the early days about uh, audio and video in terms of making it shorter content? And are there any specific lessons that you have seen any predecessors maybe stumble over um, or, or succeed with that have impacted the way that you've gone about bi- building a content-focused storytelling business? Yeah, great question. So uh, we started audio first because it, it was a medium that allowed us to incubate a lot of content really quickly and test new rom-com ideas with our audience really really fast. So we could learn what people liked and what people didn't like as a result of that. And it was a lot more immediate um, than video production. Um, something else that I really like about audio is it's very intimate and authentic. And what I mean by that is when you have your headphones in, um, you are hearing the characters, you're hearing the settings, and oftentimes it allows you to imagine the setting and the characters in a way that's so different from being served a visual of those characters. And so there was something really cool early on about people being their own directors when they listened to a meet cute and kind of like letting it play out in their heads. Um, And then, you know, speaking of predecessors, I actually listened to a This American Life episode pretty recently about rom-coms. And um, one of the producers and, and the guest interviewee here was Neil Drumming. And he argues that some of the older rom-coms that we love um, and, and kind of pay homage to very often, there's a lot of dialogue back and forth between the characters. Whereas today's rom-coms, when they show two characters falling in love or developing a friendship or something like that, it's more visual montages with music laid over it and you don't get that like intimate dialogue. And so early on, like a lot of our content allowed us to explore dialogue as a way to build characters, follow their their progression, their their narrative arc um, in, a, in a kind of like unique way to I think the way a lot of um, TV shows and movies do it do it currently. And so I think that there is a little bit of, you know, nuance in audio that allows us to go deeper on some things. Of course, knowing that like you can't visualize the characters um, in a consistent way for everyone. That was kind of the theory behind why audio and why we started there. And then really like tactically, um, we launched about two and a half years ago, like a month before the pandemic. And so there was an operational Um, ease to transitioning to remote because we were an audio first company at that time. And we were able to continue making content really quickly when a lot of video production stopped and stalled. And so there was kind of like a silver lining in that for us where um, I think that transition would have been a little trickier to navigate. And it was just kind of like right timing. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that there's a lot here uh, that that comes to mind with the idea of being audio first. We're recording this with audio and video. I post all this stuff on YouTube, but I started in audio and that has always kind of been where I felt my, my best and my strongest because there is that level of intimacy. It feels like when you put something in your ear, you're really committing to participating in a conversation, even though you're not the one speaking. You know, you you want to be part of a story. You want to engage yourself in that story. Uh, and I was just actually last week, I interviewed Caroline Spiegel from Quinn, um, and we had this oh, yeah. similar conversation about the, the ways that audio gives people who are listening license to imagine what what they see that feels so much more intense and, and so much more personal than you know seeing 
Meg Ryan on your screen, right? Um, and so I think that that's an interesting point to bring up here. Now, before I have a question about audio and video and, and more specifically audio versus video, but before I get to that, I'm curious, and this is purposely open-ended, what does modern storytelling mean to you as a digital first company? I think that um, what our audiences want is a lot more fresh perspectives in storytelling and a lot of new characters, new storylines. Um, and we're able to learn really quickly like where they engage the most through social video, through audio, looking at like the metrics and things like that. So. I think that like really doubling down on where people actually are excited about new stories is something that um, I think is like the most modern way to tell an, a new story because like we didn't have a lot of those tools and um, processes earlier. And a lot of it was just like, okay, I think this is gonna work, let's try it, let's spend a lot of money, let's spend a lot of time on it and let's put it out there. And there is, some creative risk that goes into every single story and we're always trying to like push the boundary on creative risk but the word modern to me indicates that we can listen to our audiences in a way that we weren't able to and that is why the incubator style is so exciting because we want every story that we produce to make our library better and better more inclusive more um significant in society today i love that and i think that it brings to mind just the the sheer amount of capital needed to create a full budget film versus create a podcast series. You know, it's it's just a different set of needs. Obviously, the creativity is as challenging in one as it is in the other. But when we talk about what it actually takes to get something from idea to product, it is a lot simpler when you're focused on uh, an audio first product, which means that you get to test a lot more. You get to put things in front of audiences that they're not used to seeing because you know that if you put a, you know, like Nancy Meyer's script in front of a, a production studio, they're probably going to be interested, right? But if we can test all of these other different concepts for storytelling, that is such a cool way to, to figure out what audiences actually want because it's not just the Nancy Meyer scripts. So I will stop talking about Nancy Myers. I've got Nancy on the brain, uh, coastal grandmother. I guess I can't help it. Uh, I want to talk for a second here about this transition from uh, audio only or audio first to a multimedia kind of a company, audio and video. What's that process been like for you? Yeah, I think that um, it's exactly what we were just talking about where it's like we listen to our audiences and people want this type of content across many different mediums and they really want content on every platform that they're spending time. So um, of course, audio will continue, but we're starting to test a lot more social video and original IP and social video, um, written content, thinking about working with larger platforms that have distribution. So, um, you know, everything from like YouTube to like thinking about what, what our YouTube short strategy is, um, all the way to like Facebook video. So I think there's a lot of different types of video that we can experiment with just when we think about digital and short form. But then we're also in parallel getting a lot of interest from traditional Hollywood and, and TV and film in our IP. And today more than ever, we're seeing that you can really, you know, IP can originate from anywhere. Uh, Marry Me was based on a graphic novel and turned into this big J-Lo Valentine's Day extravaganza. So you can like start to imagine um, a lot, like as you listen to these stories and audio or see 
these you know short form videos on TikTok or Instagram, you can start to imagine what they look like unfolding and developing into a much more expansive universe. And so we've been talking to a lot of production companies. Um, we did our first TV deal with Whip, who's the production company behind uh, Mayor of Easttown and Dickinson. So we're working on a rom-com anthology for TV with them. Still early days, but that was a really exciting milestone for us. Um, and then we're also partnered with a Hollywood company called Range Media to develop more TV and film projects. So excited about kind of what does it look like to like start taking a lot of these scripted shows and reimagining them and redeveloping them for the big screen as well as the small screen? Yeah, it's got to be so much fun. We're, when you started with the incubator concept in the early days, is this what you expected? Did you think you would be here in two and a half years? You know, it's like the, the early days of founding a company. I think it's so hard to know exactly where the path is going to lead. I think I imagined getting here eventually, but not this quickly. I think that it just goes to show how digital channels can really speed up processes and like the testing that it took Disney and Pixar many decades to figure out, we were able to do so quickly and get to this spot a lot faster than I expected. So um, I think that was a surprising part, but I, but I kind of knew that like the stories that we were making, even from like the first one that we released, I could visualize it as a TV show in my head or, or a limited series. And so um, creatively, that leap happened for me like from the first time I listened to an audio story. Yeah, the visionary founder. It it brings up these ideas of um, ambition can sometimes be a dirty word. I don't think that it is. I think knowing what you want to get out of something that you're pouring so much time and effort into is not a bad thing. It brings up the idea of ambition for me. When you started the company, obviously, as the visionary founder, you had these ideas of where it could go and what it could look like perhaps not on the expected timeline, but that's, a, I'm sure, a pleasant surprise. What does the ambition look like today? What are the future goals that you're setting for yourself? And walk me through the path of attempting to get there. Definitely. So I think, um, first and foremost, like building a fandom and a community around this content is something that I'm really excited about, the team's really excited about, and we're starting to see happen in a really grassroots and organic way. Um, in a kind of more top-down way, we're also working with a lot of larger and larger talent in our shows, which was definitely not part of the early days at Miku. And so the ambition there is that, you know, these series are really exciting. They could be defining the next generation of rom-coms. And so like taking bigger and bigger swings um, with the talent that we work with has been really fun. So an example is that in our September series, uh, we have Charithra Chandran, who is the diamond in the second season of Bridgerton. She's playing the main character in our retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's called A Midsemester Night's Dream. And so we're just starting to get a little bit more creative with the way that we can bring talent in. Um, in terms of ambitions, like if I were to like map out, you know, what those big wins would look like, I think um, really spending a, spending a lot more time developing um, relationships with production companies. We're seeing that a lot more people want this type of content right now. So I have to like, you know, take off sometimes like the um, operational in the weeds founder hat and put on like my creative exec hat and think about, okay, does this production company want more older character rom-coms, YA rom-coms, more 
on the nose rom-coms or high concept rom-coms and figure out how we can kind of match make our, the stories within our library to what people want more of, what their creative mandates are and what they're seeing from audiences. And that's been, that's been a really fun and exciting process. And then on the other side of that, like the other B2B side of that, um, we're seeing that there is more interest in brands to start advertising in more authentic ways through storytelling. So we're spending a lot of time and like the ambition here is to find more and more creative ways to integrate brands into our narrative storytelling, both in audio and video. And especially with young audiences like Gen Z and millennial audiences, we have seen that as soon as an advertisement feels disingenuous or not authentic or skippable, they skip or they Mm -hmm. keep scrolling. And if there's an interesting way to integrate a brand into something and connect into the emotion that that they're excited about, whether it's like people falling in love, people becoming best friends, whatever that is, that is, I think, where I want to be really ambitious and kind of push the envelope. And I think we're starting to do that and see that, that brands are re- responding to that. So um, those are just like a couple of the the ways that I'm excited to continue to grow um, what Meet Cute is to both audiences and the industry. I would love, Naomi, if you could talk to me a little bit about the challenges. You know, we've we've talked quite a bit here about what the future holds and what an underserved audience might look like, but I'm curious about some of the challenges that you're facing today and how those might look different from what you were staring down in the early days. So what have been some of the biggest lessons for you? Yeah, I love this question because the challenges are so different, you know, today versus like two, two and a half years ago. Um, In the early days, it was really proving out that this type of content would work. And people often would say things like, oh, I don't think you could tell a story in 15 minutes. Or I'm not sure that short form, like bite-sized, has a market. And so the challenge there was really staying disciplined and continuing to kind of march up that hill in the face of a lot of um, like disbelief that something like this could work and it could strike a nerve. Um, and, And... goes back to what you're saying about like the word disruptor. I think that not caving into doing things in a traditional way is really where a lot of the like hard work and discipline came from and really like staying true to what we were trying to build and the brand vision that that we had. Um, So that was the early days, I would say like the most challenging thing, Um, you know, like getting up every day and being like, okay, no, this is a good idea. We're going to keep going. We have to. Today, we've kind of proved out that there was a market for it. And now really what the challenges are include scale and tapping into the fandom around rom-coms, which is something that hasn't been done before. So it's a little bit new of a problem. Like there aren't um, there aren't people or companies that we're looking to for precedent around this. We're really trying to like build from scratch here. And so we're doing a lot of experimentation a lot of A-B testing with different content marketing, different original IP ideas. Um, we're trying to get creative. One of the challenges is like finding the right partners to work with to bring more recognition and fandom to romantic comedies. And I think that that's a really important part and definitely takes a lot of time to figure out who makes sense to work with. Um, but I think that if I were going to narrow it down to one word, it would be like scaling fandom and and testing a lot to find those communities and the people that care about this, and then um, building out a brand and a community that they actually want to be a part of. That's really where we're spending um, a lot of our time today. 
outside of actually creating the original IP itself. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And community has become uh, such a buzzword over the last several years. Uh, and I think with good reason, you know, having a community of fans, whether it's a thousand true fans or it's a million fans who just love what you're putting out there is always going to be a valuable asset for any kind of business. But I do think sometimes when I interview founders and they talk about community, it's uh, a little bit of a word that they feel they have to include, not that they necessarily uh, know exactly what they want out of. So I'm curious what you want out of a community or a fandom surrounding your content. What's the expectation for what the relationship between Meet Cute and the fandoms themselves might look like? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it's such a good point. Like community is really overused. And that's why I think that specific to Meet Cute, the word fandom really fits because there is this element of engagement that comes with fandom around the story. So even if even if you know Meet Cute wasn't facilitating a conversation, people want to talk about this. People sit down at a coffee shop and are telling their friends about the story they just listened to. People are repping merchandise. People are um, engaging in comments around discussions, whether it's um, positive or negative discussions around trends in romantic comedies or why we aren't seeing more of this or what we what we need out of stories. And I think that those are the elements when it's self-initiated and self-prompted. There is clearly trust that's been built between a brand and an audience member where they feel comfortable taking those risks. And granted, like a lot of communities can have mostly passive audience members who are just enjoying the content, they're, they love the brand, they love being a part of something, but then you have some a layer of active participants that kind of drive more conversation and more excitement around what's being released, what's coming up. And I think that's um, that's really where, you know, the, kind of the gold star of community around a content company comes from. Yeah, me circa 2008 with the Twilight series. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we are Got channeling it. Kinsey's fandom yeah. for Twilight. That's Got, like, what we want. Full <laughs> life-size Edward Cullen cutout, cardboard cutout in my bedroom. Um, got it. Okay, so whatever the next generation of that is, uh, and you know, I kind of duets see it. on TikTok. Yeah, like, that's what I was just about to say. Like, I see it. I see it playing out on social media a ton in in really interesting ways. My for you page wants me to watch the summer I turned pretty so badly. Like, it's all over my for you page right now. Um, maybe because I'm. I'm a Swifty as well, but it's, it's, I've been inundated and now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it fine because I want to understand Lots of this wine community. after work today. Turn yeah. it on. It's, it's worth it. It's a really good show. Okay. I will do it. I will do it. But I think it's, it's proof that these, uh, this concept of building a community or a fandom can actually, you know, work in, in meaningful ways that go beyond just having a buzzword on a pitch deck. Um, so I appreciate the, the actual, vision. You know, I think I think that's important. Um, so with that in mind, with all of this in mind, I'm curious about what the next couple of years hold. We talked about goals and ambitions, but let's say 10 years down the line, do you see yourself still doing what you're doing today? Or how do you see uh, your career, your your life playing out differently? What's the expectation? And I know that's a big loaded question. So take it anywhere. Yes. No, it's, I like this question. It's challenging because most people talk about like, the next two to three years of a company rather than like the tenure. Um, so I think that like building a full stack media company and building a, a brand takes time. And it takes like repetition. It takes trying things and failing. And so 
10 years from now, I think that if we have a full stack media company around Meet Cute, and I mean everything from audio, video, um, subscriptions, like all the way, like dot, 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 all the way to an amusement park, events, our own version of Comic-Con, like I think that's the level of full stack that is exciting to dream about. And so as I think about like where this goes, I think it's just going deeper and deeper into creating a brand that means something. And you know, like romantic comedies um, as a genre, like for people who aren't as deeply immersed in it, it can sound kind of niche. And I and I want to clarify that because like to us as a brand, rom-coms is a little bit wider than just a love story. It's um, it can be about like falling in love with yourself. It can be coming of age stories. It can be anything that creates that same emotion of like human connection or or feel good that you get at the end of a story. So I actually think that there is some expansion of what that word means in the future of Meet Cute and kind of tackling those different sub tropes and genre bending a little bit more than what we do today. So keeping our eye on like full stack media production, but or sorry, full stack media company, but also going a little bit wider than what we are today. Um, that's really what I see myself working on 10 years from now. But you know, 10 years is a long time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to say. <laughs> but I, I think that 10 years is the appropriate amount of time to give yourself to get to the point where you can go both deep and wide, um, maybe at the same time, maybe at different times. Um, but it's interesting to hear the immediate reaction that I had when you were explaining what the full stack media company might look like was Disney. Like Disney was is you know to this day an IP company to incredible success. Their IP is probably the most valuable library in the world. Um, and yes. they have built a full stack media company, whether or not we want to call it a media company or not. But it's interesting to consider that that this could be the future disruptor of something like a Disney. Like that's got to be really exciting for you. Definitely. And we talk about that a lot where it's like, you know, there are so many different revenue channels that come from that. There are so many different ways to engage with communities and sub-communities. It, because Disney took like 70, 80 years to, to build what they are today, I think that that comparison sometimes can feel a little funny, but we talked about this earlier where like digital channels allow us to do these types of things a lot faster and learn a lot faster. And so it's a really apt comparison because we are trying to build out basically the next big IP incubator that that creates fandoms out of out of individual shows and characters. Well, it's incredibly exciting to speak to you at this point in the story. Um, and I, I look forward to watching where it unfolds next because I am such a fan of the work that you're doing. And uh, I just love hearing your story today. So thank you so much for joining me and for sharing all of this incredible insight and more about what you're doing and what you're doing next. Most importantly, uh, we'll have to check back in and see if you've uh, unseated Disney in a year. <laughs> just give me a year. 